0: Thank you. Research. Who's your favorite Bigfoot researcher? Himself. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I mean, you know, I mean, Melvin is the go-to guy. Yeah. And, absolutely. As, as he should be, you know. You know, I'm really glad that Angela was speaking up. Well, I'm, I'm, t- you know, I don't want to sound snobbish, but the, the, that PhD level is a bit of a cut off because somehow scientists at that level become very reputation conscious. Mm, Just yep. when they're in a position to really provide informed comment, yeah. yep. they choose not to yeah that's a really important concern of mine yeah (laughs) we we depend on them it's our professional responsibility so what
2: did it take for you and jeff to get to that point where you guys were like okay well this is this is worth our reputation in the scientific community to actually speak out and be like yeah like this there is a hominid out there
1: yeah i mean it was never a concern of mine i mean it's like you know, we, we scientists love to be involved in an unfolding discovery. Much mm. I mean, something as yeah, taboo, Sasquatches. Well, we—I didn't know it was taboo. You know, I still don't. sometimes act as if it isn't. Right. You know, I say, John, why would you even think that people would be? My colleagues would be considering this. You know, it, it, anyway.
0: says the legend of Bigfoot is not a legend at all he says the Sasquatch does exist and he has the evidence to prove it The wildlife biologist is one of the world's leading experts on Sasquatches and he has just released a new book that he hopes will break the Bigfoot taboo within the scientific community news reporter Gord Curtis has the story The creatures have eluded him for decades, but wildlife biologist John Bindernago is convinced that sasquatches exist. Despite the fact he's never seen one, Bindernago is one of the world's leading experts on Bigfoot. It's been discounted as myth, as hoax, as hallucination. There is a tremendous resistance to accepting the existence of an upright ape in North America. His research over the years has included interviewing several eyewitnesses and casting numerous footprints. It's evidence that fuels his belief that Sasquatches have already been discovered. And that's the premise of a second book on the topic that he's just published. The book is about the discovery process. And this has happened with other scientific discoveries, you know. But until there's an acceptable theoretical basis for it, scientists may be unwilling to accept the discovery. And that unwillingness is what Bindernaga was hoping to overcome. The book has been seven years in the making, but it'll be worth it, he says, if he can make what could be living in these forests less scientifically taboo. My question is, can we at least discuss this as a a, a discovery and process at this time on the basis of the evidence we do have? Because he spent so much time writing his second book, Vindernagel hasn't had the opportunity to follow up on what he says as a growing file filled with names of people who have seen the creature, many here on Vancouver Island. But he says there's also many more out there who have seen the creature but are afraid to come forward. Most sightings do not become reports. We hear about
1: the odd one that makes it to the media, newspapers, television, whatever. But on the other hand, people are seeing them and they may have a bad experience recounting it to a friend or a
0: spouse and they become quiet. Bindernoggle believes we have almost reached the point where people will be able to comfortably come forward with their sightings and he's ready to hear about them. Here on Vancouver Island, gee, certainly... uh, The West Coast, and and this is an area where the reports don't tend to come out, but they are occurring. You can contact John or get information on his books through BigfootBiologist.org. In the Comox Valley, Gord Kurvis, A News.
2: Dr. John Albert Bindernagle was born on December 22, 1941, in Kitchener, Canada, to parents Albert and Mona Bindernagle. He was an only child who displayed an early passion for the outdoors and the creatures within. He graduated from the University of Guelph with his wildlife management option and a master's degree PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Directly after his graduation, he left Uganda to further his biological studies. At one point, he returned to the States for a brief time where he met his wife, Joan, before returning back to Africa with his new bride in hand. After completing his graduate studies at the University of Wisconsin, going to Uganda, moving back, and shortly thereafter, having the birth of his son, Dr. John Bindernagel took a series of contracts with the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization in Tanzania, Iran, and Trinidad there in tanzania their daughter sarah was born while living at the serengeti research institute in 1975 he moved his family and himself to courtney bc it was here on a hiking trip that the good doctor found a large footprint that sparked his passion and interest in the subject he spent the next 40 years scientifically documenting evidence of its existence he became so convinced that he felt it necessary to inform not only the public but but his fellow colleagues. Hey guys, this next section is a three-part lecture. I have broken it up into three little sections, uh, hoping for it to be easier to grasp and get a hold of the information for you. So get your notebooks out, Get your papers ready. Get your pencils all sharpened up. Buckle up and get ready for the ride.
1: Hello, my name is John Bindernagle. I'm a wildlife biologist, and I've been studying the Sasquatch, or Bigfoot, for about 40 years, and uh, today I'd just like to share some of uh, my results with you in uh, a three-segment presentation, about 15 minutes each. This first segment is what the Sasquatch looks like, um, anatomical features in particular. Um, I I like to start with a question. What is it that people see that makes them think they've seen a Sasquatch, and not a bear on its hind legs, or a human in a fur suit. Well, what they see, and sometimes describe for us, and sometimes draw for us, is a huge, hair-covered, upright, human-shaped mammal. <clears throat> and. This, this, of course, is very problematic because it is so human-like in its general appearance, but we should be aware that there are some anatomical details which are distinctly unhuman like And we can see from this drawing from, from Oregon from the 1970s, um, we do see the broad shoulders, but note also the long arms and that short thick neck, and in this case a tendency towards a, a somewhat pointed head. Now this raises a problem right at the outset. If 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 you're like me, if you'd seen that, you'd come home. You you would look at look uh, go through a field guide to the mammals, looking for a mammal that looks like this. And the closest image we'll find is a bear on its hind legs, which could be depicted this way, both front and side view. And of course, a bear on its hind legs has tapered shoulders, not these broad, hominoid, ape-like or human-like shoulders. And of course, from the side, the bear has a very prominent snout. Now what's missing from our field guides, still today, is this image here of a Sasquatch. Front view, side view, and which really needs to be put on a facing page with an upright bear so that we can see that, aha, yes, the Sasquatch has a flat face, not the prominent snow of the bear. The Sasquatch has broad shoulders, which although it makes it appear much more human-like, certainly makes it much less bear-like. Now, let's look at a few more eyewitness drawings because I feel they're quite instructive. Here's one from New Mexico, 2002, relatively recent, Uh, Sasquatch walking bipedally, and this of course is, it's both a characteristic of the Sasquatch and a problem in that it walks bipedally somewhat like a human, a different gait, but walks bipedally. This one shows the the long arms, short, thick neck, and and quite a pointed head. Another one from uh, Mineral Lake in Washington, 1991 shows a the, the very the, I think we're pretty much looking at adult males here in these in these first images. Very broad shoulders, short thick neck, a very pointed head in this one. And then we'll move on to actually two more adult males. This one I quite like. It's from the Ottawa Valley of Ontario. Uh, short thick neck. He's made a slight attempt to show facial features here and he described the uh, nostrils as simply outward facing nostrils, two black holes in the face basically. Here's a very muscular appearing Sasquatch according to the eyewitness drawing from Ohio, 1980, which is kind of interesting because we do have these reports of beyond human strength and speed and this this muscularity probably ties in with that. not so much now, but a few years ago, if one mentioned Sasquatch, say, from Ontario or Canada or from Ohio, eyebrows would be raised even more than usual because the Sasquatch used to be considered a mammal, if it existed, of the Pacific Northwest, the Western states of um, the US and, and Canada. So l- let's look at this map, which shows the distribution of reports, although it's getting a bit old now. 2002 is when I made that map, but as we can see, most the states and provinces with the most sightings are indeed in western north america british columbia washington oregon california especially northern california and then the provinces and states just interior to these and that would be alberta idaho and montana but there is this area of numerous reports, Ohio, Pennsylvania, even Maryland in, in the American Midwest and East. And if we accept the, 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 the swamp, swamp monkey or skunk ape of Florida as a Sasquatch, then we have to add Florida as well. Now, let's look at a couple more drawings because not all Sasquatches appear to be these great, hulking, wide-shouldered males. Some have been described as females either on the basis of visible breasts, such as this one, or because it was carrying an infant, or appeared to be carrying an infant, such as this one. And of course, the, the controversial Patterson-Gimlin film, in good copies of that film, you can see that that appears to be a female with visible breasts. Yet other Sasquatches appeared to be subadults or young adults, and these, of course, are will say of course. And these are even more human-like than than the, than the mature adults. They're more slender, more gangly in some places, not as broad-shouldered. Here's one from gee, only a couple hours from where I live, here on Vancouver Island, observed by a, a deer hunter, two deer hunters, an older man who was my age, and a younger uh, fellow who was only 16 at the time. <clears throat> There's a bit of a story behind this one because these two hunters are dragging a deer down a mountain and ahead they see this thing leaning against a tree. And first they think it's Bob, the the young uh, hunter's father. And they're thinking, what's Bob doing out here in torn rain gear or torn Stanfield underwear, whatever he's wearing. He's got better rain gear than that. And where's his rifle? It's November. Nobody's out here without a rifle um, at this time of year. Anyway, they decided they, they had to get that deer off the mountain. So they turned around, got the deer. By the time they came back to this place, uh, it was gone. But that evening, the young fellow made this drawing. And they basically concluded, gee, they, they must have seen a Sasquatch that day. So that's kind of interesting. Um, there's another uh, interesting subadult drawing, also from very near where I live, here uh, on Vancouver Island. <clears throat> And this is an interesting one because the girl who saw a teenage girl, there were two teenage girls on a Saturday morning on the beach uh, digging for something in, in, the, in, in the intertidal zone and they heard a slapping on the water around the point and they worked their way around and were confronted with this image, this being uh, standing there with a stick in one hand and some ducks in the other. and. Just as they were turning to to run, turn around and run, it turned and ran first, and they saw it run like a deer. And when, when the woman did the drawing for me, which I was very grateful for, I, I had to say, gee, gee whiz, that's, that looks very human-like. She said, well, it may look human-like in the drawing, but in no way was it a human. It was about seven feet tall, very muscular, covered with long, silky, reddish hair, ran like a deer. Uh, one more of these uh, would appear to be sub-adults or young adults. This one again from Ohio. And this is actually a painting. Uh, Ohio, 1982. A Sasquatch standing on a bridge. Uh, usual characteristics. The, the, the short neck. The tendency towards the pointed head. In this case, sloping uh, from receding forehead. And uh, large hands as well as large feet. Now, we even have pretty good idea of some, some of the uh, details of the Sasquatch face. We, we have a couple of uh, eyewitness drawings on for our use from Ohio. This one from near Sharon, Ohio. Interesting features because some of the characteristics are are somewhat ape-like and I'm referring now to the, to the thin lips, the wide mouth, the outward fa- uh, forward-facing nostrils, and the very wide upper lip. And of course this one also shows that very characteristic, uh, short, thick neck. A second one, also from Ohio, uh, 1990. Again, similar similar features, outward facing nostrils, thin lips, wide mouth, uh, very strong tendency towards the pointed head on that one. And although it doesn't show up real well, a rounded chin, not not the sharp pointed hint of the human, but the rounded chin of the some of the great apes. and One last one from Vancouver Island, just a sketch in this case, uh, looking at us showing those forward-facing nostrils again. Now, just a last drawing, because every once in a while, well, not, uh, a lot of these are, are, are quite good drawings, but sometimes we get uh, a Sasquatch observed by an exceptionally talented uh, artist, and that's what happened uh, on Mount Elphinstone in British Columbia in 2009 when uh, a young man observed this Sasquatch in an area where he was, uh, I believe he was tree planting. And it's it's a nice drawing. It shows that athletic ability and flexibility of the Sasquatch, which is so often described. Again, it's this kind of beyond human ability to climb trees, to run up a mountain quickly, or to squat down and disappear very quickly. And I think that's kind of captured in his drawing, which also seems to show that, that pointed head. So I'm going to break off there. That's uh, just kind of a review of what we, what we think the Sasquatch looks like, uh, based on you know, what people have told us and, and showed us. And uh, then I'm going to move on to another form of evidence, and that, of course, is the, the tracks. Thank you.
2: Convinced the species exists, his work represents one of the first tenable efforts to evaluate Sasquatch biology. Drawing primarily from historical collections of witness testimony, related artifacts, and his own formal training in ecology, his insights are summarized in one of his books, North America's Great Ape, The Sasquatch. Once the species is conclusively documented and better understood, the hypothetical model of Sasquatch ecology developed by this professional wildlife biologist will probably turn out to be largely accurate. Representatives of scientific and professional communities attest to the influence of his groundbreaking work as it has helped them develop a rational, scientifically founded perspective of the likely social structure, diet, behavior, and general ecology of North America's native ape population. To the people that knew him and his work and to the people in the Bigfoot community, It was no secret that the doctor had a disdain for the word Bigfoot. Dr. Bindernoggle took the subject extremely serious, and probably even more, the native or aboriginal side of the subject. He had a strong disdain for the New Age terms we have adopted for the species, and commonly spoke out about them. He once quoted, I would be remiss if I did not register my disappointment at the recent and increasingly widespread use of the terms squatch and squatching which denigrates the Halcomom name Sakets, anglicized many years ago as Sasquatch, and which has been more or less accepted by the relevant Aboriginal people. Along with many of my Aboriginal friends, co-workers, and colleagues, and more than a few non-Native investigators, I am saddened and disappointed by the lack of sensitivity displayed by the increasing use of the term Squatch to describe a being of cultural importance to North American Aboriginal people. As if by doing so, we have appropriated it as our own. It is similarly disappointing to hear dedicated research into this subject by both serious amateurs and professional investigators denigrated as a trivial or recreational activity increasingly referred to as squatching. I understand that many people using these terms are unaware of the cultural importance, even sacredness, of the Sasquatch to many Aboriginal people and have no ill intent. They may acknowledge, as I do, that as non-native investigators, we are mere upstarts, adding only a little to the centuries-old knowledge that Aboriginal people have acquired regarding this mammal. Consequently, I suggest that we make greater efforts to respect Aboriginal knowledge, even if it is embodied in myth and legend beyond our easy understanding. The fact that Aboriginal Sasquatch knowledge has been misunderstood, even by cultural anthropologists, as fictional, does not excuse a careless or disrespectful approach to someone else's language on our part. I have addressed the easy interpretation of Sasquatch's myth in Chapter 15 of my book, The Discovery of the Sasquatch. I pointed out how cultural anthropologists have, in the past, similarly denigrated Aboriginal reports of Sasquatch when they dismissed them as supernatural beings. When the discovery of the Sasquatch as an extant North American mammal is finally acknowledged, We will owe a huge debt to the Aboriginal people for their willingness to explain the Sasquatch to disbelieving anthropologists. We must affirm and applaud their efforts to educate us, to bring us on side. Just as we investigators seek the attention of relevant scientists within the scientific community to scrutinize the evidence we present for their considered, but still withheld, attention.
1: My name is John Binderknowle. I'm a, a wildlife biologist, and this is the second of three segments on uh, some of the results of my Sasquatch research over the last 40 years. The first one was about uh, the anatomical description of the Sasquatch itself. In the second one, I'm very keen to talk about Sasquatch tracks because, as a biologist, when we see—well, here, when we see bear tracks in the sand, we're ready to tick off bear as being present in the area. Unfortunately, we haven't reached the stage yet when we see a Sasquatch track in the sand or mud. Most of my biologists and scientific colleagues are are unwilling to tick off Sasquatch in in, in their field notes or whatever. So I I want to talk about that, that problem. Now, there, there are some problems with tracks and that's why we make these casts. Tracks can be quite difficult to photograph. This one actually turned out quite well. The human foot in there for scale is quite helpful. This one is quite good because the toes are kind of uh, curled and pointed downwards and there's are the kind of nice round tip showing there in the mud. And, and here's almost the, well, the best situation, uh, something loaned to me by, by Jeff Meldrum, uh, a very nice track which was subsequently cast and that's good because we have both the photograph of the track and the track cast. This is actually interesting to start talking about because it shows a characteristic of uh, some Sasquatch tracks which as far as I know do not occur in human beings and that is the relatively straight line across the leading edge of the toes. It's been described often drawn for us, almost never photographed, but here we see a pretty good depiction of it in in a photograph and a cast. What's interesting about that feature is that that occurred in the first Sasquatch track ever cast, as far as we know. Now that original cast has been lost, but a tracing of it survives. And this is the tracing of it here, loaned to me by John Green. That was cast by a Washington State uh, Deputy Sheriff who uh, came up to B.C. Let me just check this, and photographed, uh, a, or sorry, and cast uh, a Sasquatch track in 1941. So this is pretty interesting. This is uh, our oldest track cast or track cast casing. Now another uh, feature of the Sasquatch foot, and this is something that Jeff Meldrum has talked about a lot in his research, is that the, is the thing about the mid tarsal break, and it's shown here when you get some full-footed Sasquatch tracks and others which are referred to as half tracks and the half tracks are different from a, a human on its toes because a human on its toes it would only be about the front quarter or third of, uh, our, of our foot which, which would go into the soil where the Sasquatch with the, the foot sort of breaking or flexing in, in the near the midfoot the the, the half track is is pretty close to half the full size track. So that's an interesting feature about the Sasquatch foot, that that different uh, flexing, different point of flexing. One quite consistent feature of Sasquatch tracks is that they tend to be broad compared to their length, Um, well wide compared to their length, broader than the human foot or human tracks. This is quite an extreme example of it, it's a good example, but an extreme example from Pennsylvania where the width of the foot behind the toes is fully 50% of its length. And similarly, in this rather small uh, Sasquatch track, only 8 inches in length the uh, width of the foot behind the toes is fully fifty percent of the length. Now, that is of interest, the broadness of the Sasquatch foot for a couple of reasons. Well, for one, because it differs from the human foot, which tends to be narrower, e- even when the human foot does get to be 16 inches long or something like that. Now, let's just look at a historical account here. Uh, back, it's from uh, Southwest Oregon, 1904. And, okay, some miners on the Sixes River had been observing wild, a wild man, as they called it. <clears throat> Uh, in in their area, and it was picked up by an editor of the Lane County Leader uh, from Cottage Grove, Oregon. So, So the editor is writing, talking about the miners, when he says they. They say he, now he is the wild man, they say he is something after the fashion of a gorilla, and unlike anything else, either in appearance or action. Okay, so there we have a bit of physical description. A bit of behavior comes in here. He can throw rocks with wonderful force and accuracy. Now that's a very early report of this intimidation behavior that's commonly been reported for the Sasquatches. It certainly eliminates bears, could be human pranksters. Now this is kind of interesting. He is about seven feet high, has broad hands and feet, and his body is covered by a prolific growth of hair. Well here we have that reference to the total body covering of hair, the, the, the large size, seven feet, broad hands and feet. So they noticed broad feet already in 1904. And I find that quite interesting because uh, these men were ahead of it. You know, sometimes people ask, what did we know or what do we know and when did we know it? Well, we, we could have known about the broadness of the Sasquatch foot long ago. There's a couple other interesting aspects of the Sasquatch foot as recorded in track casts. For example, here's uh, a pair of tracks from the Skeena River in northern British Columbia, small round toes, which are at variance with other tracks such as two, well here's one that my wife and I cast, the one on the left, and uh, two other tracks that are deer hunter cast just north of here on Vancouver Island, long-toed tracks and for years people were puzzling about the short-toed Sasquatch and the long-toed Sasquatch well fu- well, if there was so, such a thing and then came the track cast 1982 came to our attention from Grays Harbor County Washington a wonderful cast in which the toes are held in a very tightly curled position showing us that Yes, the toes are long, but sometimes they're held like this so that only the toe tips register in the soil, giving the appearance of short-toed tracks. Now, anyone interested in tracks and tracking knows that we don't can't just rely on individual tracks, but that the pattern of the tracks, the trackway, or what's the technical term is trail in a very specific sense of the word trail, a trail of tracks shows us a great deal about the animal. For example, here is a trail of uh, grizzly bear tracks on a road. And first of all, there's both hind foot and forefoot. Second, there is this straddle, or width, to the trail. And here's a human trail in snow, and it's kind of interesting because we humans, when we walk, also show a certain amount of straddle or trail width. And in addition, when the snow is a little bit deep, we tend to do this scuffing uh, where our, our, our heel slides in and our toe drags out. Now let's look at the Sasquatch Trail. Here's one where the animal, the, the, animal, the mammal, is walking towards us. And note the linearity, the, the lack of straddle. We can't tell from the scale, but these are large tracks with a fairly large stride interval. The lack of scuffing in the, in the relatively deep snow. And here's another one from Ohio again. And this, is, this has been mentioned by people in the past. I, I remember someone saying, it's as if the Sasquatch was walking on a tightrope. That's how, that's how in line the tracks were. And we get a sense here of scale from, from the, the, the person who's partly in the photograph, that this is a very long stride length. And uh, one more here, uh, this one from uh, Arizona. Again, only three tracks, but quite well lined up. Now, there's an obvious question here: If this track evidence is as good as some of us think it is, why have we not moved ahead and you know gone with this really good evidence and uh, attracted the attention of our scientific colleagues and managed to get the, the, the Sasquatch being studied in mainstream universities, government uh, conservation agencies? Well there's been a distraction and that is the distraction of hoaxes. And we should talk about hoaxes because it it turns out to have been a very important inhibiting factor to Sasquatch research. Here we have a man showing two carved wooden Sasquatch feet, presumably made by his uncle, um, Mr. Wallace, uh, uh, some years ago. And and this came out in 2002 as an explanation for Sasquatch tracks and the media loved it they jumped on this and said great case closed and you know we had headlines a lot of different headlines one of them was originator of Bigfoot hoax dies family fesses up another one footprints big but 42 year Bigfoot hoax even larger well, there's a couple interesting things. One of the interesting things is this second one, 42-year Bigfoot hoax. Where on earth did they come up with 42 years? Because we've already talked about a 1904 report describing the feat. We have other reports from the 1850s, 1870s, 1880s, good reports, good descriptions. Well, what they were referring to <coughs> was this newspaper article, of 1958, which is close to 42 years. I'm sure this is what they were f- referring to. New Sasquatch found, it's called Bigfoot. This was Jerry Crew, the the construction person in Northern California, who kind of, uh, mm, the the Sasquatch became quite popular as a subject of newspaper and media inquiry around that time. And unfortunately, this is also the time when the Sasquatch was given what I call the unfortunate nickname, Bigfoot, but... uh, which 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 is problematic because I mean it's very hard I think for for a scientist to take seriously an animal with the nickname Bigfoot, so, which is why so many of us serious investigators like to stick with the uh, word Sasquatch, which is derived from an Aboriginal name. There there was uh, anyway so but let's look more closely at the evidence brought forward for the Sasquatch as a hoax. Here we have Dale Wallace holding his the, these fabricated. Uh, Wooden feet. Look at the toes more closely. The toes are square. The the hoaxer hadn't even bothered to round off the toes. Let's look at another uh, one of one of these fabricated foot examples. This was from 1982. Um, Grant Mullins brought forward some carved wooden. Sasquatch feet. And once again, what we see here, the heel is square. He hasn't even bothered to round off the heel more than just a little bit. So the question is, well, there's a couple questions here. (laughs) Sasquatch scientists who are not stupid have accepted the hoax hypothesis. They, they, They regularly Explain and tell me that you you should know that, 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 that hoaxes explain Sasquatches. Well, no, no, hoaxes do not explain Sasquatch. Track, at least not not according to the evidence that's been been brought forward and that which which was so widely accepted in 2002. Now, um, two quotes here, if I may, before closing. One being, one of the first. Uh, this is this is interesting. This is from uh, historian Carl Becker. One of the first duties of man is not to be duped. To be aware of as world. Well, I, I say this because I, it raises the question, who is being duped by these claims of these carved wooden feet explaining all the Sasquatch tracks that have been seen before and since and have been cast as evidence? So I think that's kind of interesting because it looks at things a little different way. And and speaking of evidence, a very good uh, very good quote from philosopher of science Michael Polanyi on the subject of facts and evidence. And he was talking about two different uh, scientific discoveries that were being treated as controversial. And he said, but looking at these disputes more closely, it appears that the two sides do not accept the same facts as facts and still less the same evidence as evidence. So there we are. This happens, you know, with with mainstream scientists involved in laboratory research and it certainly has happened with Sasquatch research to the point, to the point of the Sasquatch having been treated as scientifically taboo, a scientifically taboo subject, which has been very, well, not only distressing, but it's been very inhibiting as far as trying, trying to move ahead. So uh, I just want to leave that some of those thoughts on tracks for now. And we'll go on to one more segment. Thank you.
2: Dr. John Binnernoggle wrote two books. The first is titled North America's Great Ape, The Sasquatch, A Wildlife Biologist's Look at the Continent's Most Misunderstood Large Mammal. And the second book is titled The Discovery of Sasquatch, Reconciling Culture, History, and Science in the Discovery Process. He has spoke at hundreds of conferences and appeared on numerous television specials over the years. He has collected casts of tracks and has said to have heard the creature near Comix Lake in Comix Strathcona Sea, B.C., Canada in 1992, comparing its whooping sound to that of a chimpanzee. Dr. Bindernagle believed that the Bigfoot phenomenon should receive more attention from serious scientists. He once quoted, The evidence doesn't get scrutinized objectively. We can't bring the evidence to our colleagues because it's perceived as tabloid. He went on to say, I am a professional wildlife biologist who is seriously studying the Sasquatch or Bigfoot in North America. My interest in this animal began in 1963 when, as a third-year student in wildlife management at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada, I was laughed at for raising the report of an animal described as an ape man for possible discussion. My fieldwork began in 1975 when our family moved to British Columbia partly in order for me to begin field work on the species. In 1988, my wife and I found several Sasquatch tracks, in good condition in the mountains not far from our home on Vancouver Island. Wildlife biologists such as myself regularly depend on tracks and other wildlife sign as evidence for the presence of bears, deer, wolves, and other mammals, recognizing that tracks constitute a more reliable and persistent record of the presence of a mammal species in an area than a fleeting glimpse of an animal itself. I am satisfied that the Sasquatch is an extant animal, subject to study and examination, just like any other animal, and am much more concerned with addressing ecological questions, such as how it overwinters in the colder regions of North America, than the dwelling on the controversy of whether it does or does not exist. I remain aware, however, that many people, including scientific colleagues, remain unaware of the information that exists about the species. Here's what Dr. Vernon Reynolds at the Institute of Biological Anthropology at Oxford University and the author of the book, The Apes, The Gorilla, Chimpanzee, Orangutan, and Gibbon*, had to say about his book. In the past 30 years, numerous books have been published about reported observations of giant hairy bipeds in the forests of North America but none by a scientist qualified to assess whether what the witness described added up to a believable animal. John Bender Noggle, with a PhD in wildlife biology and extensive field experience in more than one part of the world has now supplied that need. North America's great ape, the Sasquatch could prove to be the most important book yet written on this fascinating subject. <laughs> As you know already, there is a ton to be learned from this man. So lastly, I present to you section three.
1: Hello, my name is John Bindernagle. I'm a wildlife biologist and uh, this is the third segment in a series of three on the Sasquatch and on the unfolding discovery of the Sasquatch. And I alluded in the, at the end of the last section about some of the things that have inhibited serious Sasquatch research, and I want to, uh, I want to expand on that because I think it's quite important. And. To me, the question for some time now has not been, does the Sasquatch exist or not? We know the Sasquatch does exist. The question is, why has the Sasquatch been treated as a scientifically taboo subject? Why is it not a subject of mainstream scientific research? Let's start with uh, one of my scientific heroes, E.O. Wilson of Harvard, who in his book, Consilience, wrote a very interesting paragraph about evidence and discovery. He said, he wrote, As evidence piles upon evidence, certain bodies of knowledge do gain universal acceptance. They ascend a scale of credibility from interesting to suggestive to persuasive and finally compelling and, given enough time, obvious. Well, I put uh, E.O. Wilson's categories on on a scale, uh, which is the way... I think he means that many bodies of evidence do lead to a tipping point where the results finally after it being uh, interesting, suggestive, persuasive, compelling, and he says finally obvious or I might say conclusive, no, but there's a problem because I don't think he's had to deal with the Sasquatch as an unfolding discovery, if he had. He would realize that in this case of the Sasquatch, there is a category below evidence being interesting, and that is that the evidence is unreasonable, irrelevant, or baseless. And that's what we seem to have happened here. And when that happens, <coughs> there is a blockage. Uh, the evidence is more or less banned from moving up the scale to be found interesting, suggestive, persuasive, compelling, or eventually obvious. And what is this evidence? Well, we haven't talked about it here, but there's the aboriginal evidence of early Americans and First Nations people who've been describing the Sasquatch to us for many years, to put it mildly, but which we have kind of misinterpreted. when we interpret myth and legend too narrowly as referring to a supernatural being or a fictional being. Then there's the historical reports such as we mentioned a little earlier like the, the 1904 report from Oregon where uh, miners actually described in a published newspaper account um, aspects of Sasquatch anatomy behavior. Then there are, you know, that might have been suggestive, persuasive, could have been the eyewitness descriptions, eyewitness drawings, and say, my goodness, there's this remarkable consistency. in with people from New Mexico see, and Ontario see, and British Columbia see, and then there's evidence which some people have found to be compelling, and that could be the Patterson Gimlin film, which many of us do find compelling. And then finally, for some of us who are involved with tracks, I would suggest what we find, I won't say obvious, but conclusive, is, is are the tracks, which reveals the Sasquatch as a track leaving mammal, and which could have brought us to the tipping point before now. So what is the evidence that's missing? Well, obviously a cadaver of this lower a figure in the lower right here, a cadaver would be, would change things overnight. Possibly DNA would do the same thing. And I think we would move with very conclusive evidence along those lines, especially a cadaver, immediately up to the tipping point. Of acceptance. Then what would happen? Then there would be these questions, and the public would be say asking, My goodness, why do scientists appear to be surprised that the Sasquatch actually exists? Did they not see it coming? Was there <laughs> I'm being a little bit facetious here, was there no scientific dialogue leading up to this? Well, we have tried to engage uh, our scientific colleagues in some dialogue leading up to to us, trying to bring some of this other evidence to to their attention for their sake, uh, because sooner or later we're going to have to deal with it. I think we're now going to, at some point, we're going to find ourselves having to go back and say, oh my goodness. As long ago as 1904, the broadness of the Sasquatch foot was described. Oh my goodness, some of these eyewitness drawings are really quite good. They're very close to the actual cadaver, the actual type specimen we, we may have at some point. You know, that film, people always said it looked like a real animal, a real creature, not not, 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 not a human in a fursuit, but a real animal in its own skin, <laughs> not in a costume. Anyway, um, so that's kind of an interesting philosophical uh, take on it. Now. Uh, Some of my colleagues say they're skeptical and and that's fine and others more and more are are saying that they're agnostic And, and I think the difference is kind of significant. A skeptic, according to the dictionary, denies or questions the validity of a stance or position and is doubtful regarding its validity. Okay, that, that's skepticism. An agnostic is unwilling to commit to an opinion about a subject, and this is kind of interesting because this is these, these are the people say, "I don't know. I don't have enough information. I haven't really studied it, so I, I, I'm not in a position to say yes or no." Now. Astronomer Carl Sagan, uh, towards the end of his career, became a science commentator, a real, almost a philosopher of science, and he was very strong about skepticism. He said, you know, we must be skeptical. But he cautions us about if we're being too skeptical by saying, but if you're only skeptical, then no idea makes it through to you every now and then a new idea turns out to be on the mark valid and wonderful if you're only skeptical you're going to miss the transforming discoveries in science and this is strong and you will be obstructing understanding and progress that's that's pretty strong language and uh, it comes from a man who who really boosts skepticism so I, I found that pretty interesting coming from Carl Sagan now when I do these presentations, which I've been doing for about 20 years now, and sometimes to scientific colleagues, more often to scientifically minded people. I'm always trying to figure out where these folks are. What, what have they heard about the Sasquatch and what do they think of it? And I, I always think that roughly half a room full of people is skeptical and the other half, more and more, is agnostic. I also realize, and I find this especially at universities, there is a, maybe not a small segment, maybe a large segment that's strongly opposed to this whole idea. They find it preposterous. Some are even hostile. They're embarrassed that a person who can calls himself a scientist with a PhD is taking this on and treating, it, treating the Sasquatch as an existing North American mammal. They just find that, as I say, preposterous. Then again again this is this is a kind of evolving situation some people say gee and 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 they, they, they we get they, they look at us as believers and that that's that's a media thing the media likes to call us believers or even worse true believers and i like to say no no we're, we're not believers there's no faith involved we are convinced by the evidence but anyway there are these people who say wow you, you folks that have been studying this, you investigators, and are convinced you're, you're ahead of the curve, aren't you? Well, not so fast, thanks, but not so fast, because for every person who thinks we're ahead of the curve, there's about a hundred people that think we're delusional. And, haha, that's kind of, a, kind of a joke, but not completely a joke, because there's so much evidence to support th- this feeling, this, this, this conclusion that we are delusional for example a book that came out in 2008 published by the prestigious University of California Press titled Anatomy of a Beast Obsession and Myth on the Trail of Bigfoot and the author writes if people can delude themselves into believing in the existence of an eight-foot-tall ape-man what on earth might they be thinking about truly important matters well this is obviously a uh, rhetorical question, but it's very strongly put. Another book also came out in 2008, and this is by Joshua Buse. Again, a prestigious university press, University of Chicago Press. His title, Bigfoot, Life and Times of a Legend. And Buse went to great pains to criticize and even ridicule the way Sasquatch research has been handled over the years. And this is kind of a touchy subject because scientists have just avoided the subject completely, so it's been taken over by uh, amateur investigators, many of whom are very dedicated and, and, and very disciplined, others less so. But anyway, he, he does this job of ridiculing Sasquatch research and, and the conclusion that the Sasquatch is an extant or existing North American mammal. So he, he got this review in Publishers Weekly by a reviewer who was uh, quite impressed with Bue's take on Sasquatch research. Muse is at his amused best when following the exploit, exploits of Bigfoot's handlers, the colorful band of true believers, hoaxers, and pseudo-documentarists who constructed this greatest of shaggy dog stories. Well, you can see that he's done a very good job of debunking the Sasquatch research as a serious activity, which, which was apparently his intent and certainly worked with this with this, with this reviewer. Because you know, we are referred to as true believers. We're lumped with hoaxers. So casting tracks like this is not documentation. Not documentation of uh, scientific evidence, but it makes us pseudo documentarists. So anyway, it's 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 difficult when this this view is being promoted so strongly and being widely accepted. Uh, being, being, you know, published by scientific presses. Okay, now, I don't want to get too uh, deep here on this idea of truth, but there's a, a nice quote from Salman Rushdie in, in, his, in a piece of his writing called Facting, Finding Truth in Fact and Fiction. And he says, fine as the word truth sounds, truth is all too often unpalatable, awkward, unorthodox. The armies of received ideas are marshaled against it, yet it must, if at all possible, be told." Well, here here you have it, you see, a few scientists uh, like myself and a handful of others that have come before me and and work alongside now, we are trying to tell this to bring our scientific colleagues online, to um, solicit their help because some of them are uh, quite well-funded and certainly more knowledgeable than some of the the rest of us are. So one works at this, and of course one is trying to uh, vindicate those amateur investigators and those eyewitnesses who've been willing to come forward saying, this is what I saw, I made a drawing, here's the track I found, I have photographs, and here's a cast, and they're actually against a lot of social uh, ridicule coming forward. So uh, yes, that's the uh, that's the end of that presentation, and I hope some of that uh, is helpful because I think it's quite important. Thank you.
2: On the evening of Wednesday, January 17th, 2018, after losing a battle with cancer, Dr. John Albert Bindernagel passed away at the age of 76. He is lovingly remembered by his wife, son, daughter, and four grandchildren. He was a huge asset to the Bigfoot community, a scholar, and a gentleman. He will be dearly missed by so many friends and colleagues. He was extremely passionate about the search for the unknown species putting in 40-plus years' worth of research and field work that he happily shared with anyone interested. He was willing to take the time to answer questions, share his opinions on Sasquatch, and provide information on the evidence he has collected over the years. He truly will be missed, and wherever you are, Doctor, I hope you got the answers you were looking for. You left some mighty big shoes to fill there, sir, and the field subject will never be the same without you.
1: We have historical reports from certainly the 1800s and early 1900s, long before Ray Wallace or any other hoaxer. But we, as a society, seem to want an easy explanation. And and this is an easy explanation that we seem to be accepting. The absence of bones is a huge dilemma for most people. If there were bones, we obviously would have quite a different type of discussion about the Sasquatch. It would be right up there alongside grizzly bears, mountain goats, and moose. So what we're having to proceed with now is other evidence, tracks and cast of tracks, eyewitness descriptions and drawings, and trying to make something out of that which would at least help us proceed with a discussion. I, I'm not asking for acceptance. I am asking for serious discussion amongst my, my peers and colleagues.
0: I wanted to get a young person's perspective on what they've talked about interviewed my. By...
1: This whole idea, has the Sasquatch in fact been discovered? See, my my, my thinking is that every person who sees the Sasquatch discovers it for himself or for herself. But that's usually as far as it goes. Once he or she tries to talk about it, there's ridicule and rebuttal and discomfort. One of the things that keeps me going is that, you know, we're in this situation where people are, they're not pushing away uh, Sasquatch and all, but they're, they're not terribly receptive to it either. And then we're finally going to have this acknowledgement of the discovery. And then people are going to ask, gee, where was the scientific discussion leading up to it? Where was the dialogue? Where were the scientific papers pointing in this direction? And I guess that's what some of us have been trying to do. Todd Standing has produced films that have been largely ignored. and I've written books that have been largely ignored. And I've been unable to get uh, evidence presented at scientific conferences. And there's just been this scientific resistance to the whole idea of the, of the Sasquatch as an existing North American mammal. And I guess that's what we're about is going to change.
2: Alright guys, that's all she wrote for me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. Your presence is greatly appreciated. If you did like the show, go ahead and hit that like button, share it around, or go on to your platform that you were listening to me on. And go ahead and leave me a message on the voice message section, or you can email me at science meets Bigfoot at gmail.com or at citizen scientist deep dive at protonmail.com. You can also rate my podcast and leave a review at rate this podcast backslash Bigfoot and the Citizen Scientist. That is Rate this podcast backslash Bigfoot and the Citizen Scientist. So until next time, be safe, be kind, love one another, love yourself, and have a great day.
1: My name is John Bindernoggle, I'm a a wildlife biologist, and this is the second of three segments on uh, some of the results of my Sasquatch research over the last 40 years. The first one was about uh, the anatomical description of the Sasquatch itself. In the second one, I'm very keen to talk about Sasquatch tracks, because as a biologist, when when we see bear tracks in the sand, we're ready to tick off bear as being present in the area. Unfortunately, we haven't reached the stage yet when we see a Sasquatch track in the sand or mud. Most of my biologists and scientific colleagues are are unwilling to tick off Sasquatch in in, in their field notes or whatever. So I I want to talk about that, that problem. Now there, there are some problems with tracks and that's why we make these casts. Tracks can be quite difficult to photograph. This one actually turned out quite well. The human foot in there for scale is quite helpful. This one is quite good because the toes are kind of uh, curled and pointed downwards and there's the kind of nice round tip showing there in the mud. And, and here's almost the, well, the best situation, uh, something loaned to me by, by Jeff Meldrum, uh, a very nice track which was subsequently cast, and that's good because we have both the photograph of the track and the uh, track cast. This is actually interesting to start talking about because it shows a a characteristic of uh, some Sasquatch tracks which, as far as I know, do not occur in human beings, and that is the relatively straight line across the leading edge of the toes. It's been described often drawn for us, almost never photographed, but here we see a pretty good depiction of it in in a photograph and a cast. What's interesting about that feature is that that occurred in the first Sasquatch track ever cast, as far as we know. Now that original cast has been lost, but a tracing of it survives. And this is the tracing of it here, loaned to me by John Green. That was cast by a Washington State uh, deputy sheriff who uh, came up to B.C let me just check this, and photographed, uh, or sorry, and cast uh, a Sasquatch track in 1941. So this is pretty interesting. This is uh, our oldest track cast, or track cast casing. Now another uh, feature of the Sasquatch foot, and this is something that Jeff Meldrum has talked about a lot in his research, is the the thing about the mid-tarsal break, and shown here, when you get some full-footed Sasquatch tracks and others which are referred to as half tracks and the half tracks are different from a a human on its toes because a human on its toes it would only be about the front quarter or third of our of our foot which, which would go into the soil where the Sasquatch with the the foot sort of breaking or flexing in the near the midfoot the, the, the half track is is pretty close to half the full size track so that that 's an interesting feature about the sasquatch foot that that different uh, flexing different point of flexing. One quite consistent feature of Sasquatch tracks is that they tend to be broad compared to their length, um, well, wide compared to their length, broader than the human foot or human tracks. This is a f- quite an extreme example of it, it's a good example, but an extreme example from Pennsylvania where the width of the foot behind the toes is fully 50% of its length. And similarly, in this rather small uh, Sasquatch track, only eight inches in length, the uh width of the foot behind the toes is fully 50% of the length. Now, that is of interest, the broadness of the Sasquatch foot, for a couple of reasons. Well, for one, because it differs from the human foot, which tends to be narrower, e- even when the human foot does get to be 16 inches long or something like that. Now, let's just look at a historical account here. Uh, back, it's from uh, Southwest Oregon, 1904, and Okay. Some miners on the Sixes River had been observing a wild man, as they called it, uh, in in their area. And it was picked up by an editor of the Lane County Leader, from Cottage Grove, Oregon. So, so the editor is writing, talking about the miners, when he says they. They say he, now he is the wild man, they say he is something after the fashion of a gorilla, and unlike anything else, either in appearance or action. Okay, so there we have a bit of physical description. A bit of behavior comes in here. He can throw rocks with wonderful force and accuracy. Now that's a very early report of this intimidation behavior that's commonly been reported for the Sasquatches. It certainly eliminates bears, could be human pranksters. Now this is kind of interesting. He is about seven feet high, has broad hands and feet, and his body is covered by a prolific growth of hair. Well, here we have that reference to the total body covering of hair, the the large size, seven feet, broad hands and feet. So they noticed broad feet already in 1904, and I find that quite interesting because uh, these men were ahead of it. You know, sometimes people ask, what did we know or what do we know and when did we know it? Well, we, we could have known about the broadness of the Sasquatch foot long ago. There's a couple other interesting aspects of the Sasquatch foot as recorded in track casts. For example, here's these, uh, a pair of tracks from the Skeena River in northern British Columbia. Small round toes which are at variance with other tracks such as two well here's one that my wife and I cast the one on the left and uh, two other tracks that are deer hunter cast just north of here on Vancouver Island long-toed tracks and for years people were puzzling about the short-toed sasquatch and the long-toed sasquatch well well if there was so such a thing And then came the track cast, 1982, came to our attention from Grays Harbor County, Washington, a wonderful cast in which the toes are held in a very tightly curled position, showing us that, yes, the toes are long, but sometimes they're held like this, so that only the toe tips register in the soil, giving the appearance of short-toed tracks. Now, anyone interested in tracks and tracking knows that we don't, we can't just rely on individual tracks, but that the pattern of the tracks, the trackway, or what's uh, the technical term is trail, in a very specific sense of the word trail, a trail of tracks shows us a great deal about the animal. For example, here is a trail of uh, grizzly bear tracks on a road. And first of all, there's both hind foot and forefoot. Second, there is this straddle or width to the trail. And here's a human trail in snow, and it's kind of interesting because we humans, when we walk, also show a certain amount of straddle or trail width. And in addition, when the snow is a little bit deep, we tend to do this scuffing uh, where our, our, our heel slides in and our toe drags out. Now let's look at the Sasquatch Trail. Here's one where the animal, the, the, animal, the mammal, is walking towards us. And note the linearity, the the lack of straddle. We can't tell from the scale, but these are large tracks with a fairly large stride interval. The lack of scuffing in the the relatively deep snow. And here's another one from Ohio again. And this this has been mentioned by people in the past. I, I remember someone saying, it's as if the Sasquatch was walking on a tightrope. That's how, that's how in line the tracks were. And we get a sense here of scale from, from the, the, the person who's partly in the photograph that this is a very long stride length. And uh, one more here. Uh, this one from uh, Arizona. Again, only three tracks, but quite well lined up. Now, there's an obvious question here. If this track evidence is as good as some of us think it is, why have we not moved ahead and you know, gone with this really good evidence and uh, attracted the attention of our scientific colleagues and managed to get the, the, the Sasquatch being studied in mainstream universities, government uh, conservation agencies? Well, there's been a distraction, and that is the distraction of hoaxes. And we should talk about hoax because it, it turns out to have been a very important inhibiting factor to Sasquatch research. Here we have a man showing two carved wooden Sasquatch feet, <clears throat> presumably made by his uncle, uh, Mr. Wallace, uh, uh, some years ago. And, in, and he ca- this came out in 2002 as an explanation for Sasquatch tracks, and the media loved it they jumped on this and said great case closed and you know we had headlines a lot of different headlines one of them was originator of bigfoot hoax dies family fesses up another one footprints big but 42 year bigfoot hoax even larger well, there's a couple of interesting things one of the interesting things is this second one 42 year bigfoot hoax where on earth did they come up with 42 years because We've already talked about a 1904 report describing the feat. We have other reports from the 1850s, 1870s, 1880s, good reports, good descriptions. Well, what they were referring to <coughs> was this newspaper article of 1958, which is close to 42 years, I'm sure this is what they were referring to. New Sasquatch found, it's called Bigfoot, this was Jerry Crew, the, the construction person in northern california who kind of um as mm, a sasquatch became quite popular as a subject of newspaper and media inquiry around that time and at, unfortunately this is also the time when the sasquatch was given the, what i call the unfortunate nickname bigfoot but uh, which, which which is problematic because, I mean, it's very hard, I think, for, for a scientist to take seriously an animal with the nickname Bigfoot, which is why so many of us serious investigators like to stick with the uh, word Sasquatch, which is derived from an Aboriginal name. There, there was, uh... anyway, so but let's look more closely at the evidence brought forward for the Sasquatch as a hoax. Here we have Dale Wallace holding his, the, these fabricated, uh, wooden feet. Look at the toes more closely. The toes are square. The The hoaxer hadn't even bothered to round off the toes. Let's look at another uh, one, of, one of these fabricated foot examples. This is from 1982. Um, Rat Mullins brought forward some carved wooden Sasquatch feet. And once again what we see here, the heel is square. He hasn't even bothered to round off the heel more than just a little bit. So the question is well there's a couple questions here. <laughs> Sasquatch oh, sorry, scientists who are not stupid have accepted the hoax hypothesis. They they, they regularly explain and tell me that you, you should know that this is, this is, hoaxes explain Sasquatches. Well, no, no, hoaxes do not explain Sasquatch. Track, at least not, not according to the evidence that's been, been brought forward and that which, which was so widely accepted in 2002. Now, um, two quotes here, if I may, before closing. One being, one of the first, uh, this, is, this is interesting, this is from uh, historian Carl Becker. One of the first duties of man is not to be duped to be aware of as world. Well, I, I say this because that, it raises the question, who is being duped by these claims of these carved wooden feet explaining all the Sasquatch tracks that have been seen before and since and have been cast as evidence? So I think that's kind of interesting because it looks at things a little different way. And and speaking of evidence, a very good uh, A very good quote from philosopher of science, Michael Polanyi, on the subject of facts and evidence. And he was talking about two different uh, scientific discoveries that were being treated as controversial. And he said, But looking at these disputes more closely, it appears that the two sides do not accept the same facts as facts, and still less the same evidence as evidence. So there we are. This happens, you know, with with mainstream scientists involved in laboratory research and it certainly has happened with Sasquatch research to the point to the point of the Sasquatch having been treated as scientifically taboo, a scientifically taboo subject, which has been very, well, n- not only distressing, but it's been very inhibiting as far as trying trying to move ahead. So, uh, I just want to leave that some of those thoughts on tracks for now, and we'll go on to one more segment. Thank you.